Greetings. Thank you all for returning to this week's new study episode titled, A Riot in Ephesus, Part 2. I am Pastor John, welcoming our returning global audience of unchurched, self-study people, as well as those who are part of a church. For anyone looking for greater depths in God's Word with a stronger personal study, we also extend a warm welcome to all our new listeners here for the first time. Thank you all for listening. May you all be blessed of God. Our last episode, A Riot in Ephesus, Part 1, was posted on May 8th. Last week, we learned that words spoken by Jesus tell us that He has spoken these things to us so that we may have peace. That peace is found in Jesus, knowing Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Jesus also makes a promise. He says, In the world you will have tribulation. He does not state how much tribulation we will have, how frequent or infrequent it will occur, or how troubling to us it will be in any case. He only comments surely that we will have tribulation. Where do we have this tribulation? Jesus gives us the answer, which is in the world. That means the everyday world we walk and live in right now. Jesus then states in the second half of the sentence, But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, meaning this world where we have tribulation. We also noted the vastness of Paul's ministry, which included Paul seeing Rome as a prisoner. We also examined Acts chapter 19, verse 23, which reads, At that time a great disturbance took place concerning the way. We examined this verse mostly for using the word way with a capital W. This was much like we do today when we consolidate speech. We found it really meant the Christian way, meaning the way of God or the way of the Lord. This included the Christian religion and the doctrines and ordinances of the gospel which the saints were very directed to walk in. To find out more, listen to our previous episode titled, A Riot in Ephesus, Part 1. This week, our study is titled, A Riot in Ephesus, Part 2. Our study scripture reads in its entirety. Now, after all these things had taken place, Paul resolved to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. He said, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So after sending two of his assistants, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia, he himself stayed on for a little while in the province of Asia. At that time, a great disturbance took place concerning the Christian way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought a great deal of business 
to the craftsmen. He gathered these together along with the workers in similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity comes from this business, and you see and hear that this Paul has persuaded and turned away a large crowd, not only in Ephesus, but in practically all the province of Asia, by saying that gods made by hands are not gods at all. There is danger not only that this business of ours will come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be regarded as nothing, and she whom all the province of Asia and the world worship will suffer the loss of her greatness. From the book of Acts, chapter 19, verse 21 through 27. This week we will start in verse 24. I read the full text for clarity. Verse 24 reads, For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought a great deal of business to the craftsmen. The word shrine properly means a case, small chest, or box, particularly applied to a box in which sacred things are deposited. Hence, we hear of the shrines for relics. Webster. The word shrines here denotes small portable temples or edifices made of silver, so as to resemble the temple of Diana, and probably containing a silver image of the goddess. Such shrines should be purchased by devotees and by worshippers of the goddess and by strangers. The great number of persons that came to Ephesus for her worship would constitute an ample sale for productions of this kind and make the manufacturer a profitable employment. It is well known that pagans everywhere are accustomed to carry with them small images or representations of their gods as an amulet or charm. The Romans had such images in all their houses called penates or household gods. A similar thing is mentioned as early as the time of Laban, Genesis chapter 31, verse 19, whose images Rachel had stolen and taken with her. Compare Judges chapter 17, verse 5. These images were usually enclosed in a box, case, or chest made of wood, iron, or silver, and probably, as here, usually made to resemble the temple where the idol was worshipped. From Barnes' New Testament Notes This is what the silversmiths were creating. Why? It brought a great degree of business to them. For these craftsmen, it was a platform for making money. They were quite profitable in their day, making it desirous for them to be in this business of creating these silver images. You should note that this not only happened in Ephesus, but in particularly all of the province of Asia. So clearly these silversmiths 
had a really good thing going for them in their day as well. They did not want to lose the wealthy business they enjoyed. This next text passage will tell us better what these silversmiths worshipped. Diana. This was a celebrated goddess of the heathen and one of the twelve superior deities. In the heavens she was Luna, or Mini, the moon. On earth, Diana, and in hell, Hecate. She was sometimes represented with a crescent on her head, a bow in her hand, and dressed in a hunting habit, at other times with a triple face and with instruments of torture. She was commonly regarded as the goddess of hunting. She was also worshipped under the various names of Lucina, Proserpine, Trivia, etc., she was also represented with a great number of breasts to denote her being the fountain of blessings or distributing her benefits to each in their proper station. She was worshipped in Egypt, Athens, Cilicia, and among heathen nations generally, but the most celebrated place of her worship was Ephesus, a city peculiarly dedicated to her. From Barnes New Testament Notes. This goddess Diana has six names in Barnes' commentary. Besides Diana, she is also known as Luna or Mini, in Hell, Hecate. She is also worshipped in a variety of other names such as Lucina, Proserpine, Trivia, etc etc., meaning still more names. The fact that these Ephesians are worshipping a goddess is proof they are in error. Barnes told us she was worshipped in Egypt, Athens, Cilicia, and among heathen nations generally, but the most celebrated place of her worship was Ephesus, a city peculiarly dedicated to her. From Barnes New Testament Note. Now, remember this and what we previously learned in review of Paul at Corinth, Part 1. Corinth was the capital of Achaia, called anciently Ephyra, and was seated on the Isthmus, which divides the Peloponnese from Attica. It was one of the most populous and wealthy cities of Greece, and, at the same time, one of the most luxurious, effeminate, proud, ostentatious, and dissolute. Lasciviousness here was not only practiced and allowed, but was consecrated by the worship of Venus, and no small part of the wealth and splendor of the city arose from the offerings made by licentious passions in the very temples of this goddess. No city of ancient times was more given to or characterized by reckless waste and wild extravagance. It was the seat of splendor and show and corruption. Yet even here, notwithstanding all the disadvantages of splendor, gaiety, in dissoluteness, Paul 
entered on the work of rearing a church. From Barnes New Testament Notes We can see whether Corinth or Ephesus, this region was not a good place for people of faith and decency. This helps us to understand why people of a single mind rose up in riotous form. We now see in Scripture, He gathered these together along with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity comes from this business, and you see and hear that this Paul has persuaded and turned away a large crowd, not only in Ephesus, but in practically all of the province of Asia, by saying that gods made by hands are not gods at all. These two verses expand our view of this passage. Notice, by this craft we have our wealth. The word not only signifies wealth, but also abundance. It was a most lucrative trade, and he plainly saw that. If the apostles were permitted to go on thus preaching, the worship of Diana itself would be destroyed, and consequently, all of the gain that he and his fellows derived from it would be brought to naught. From Adam Clark's Commentary and Critical Notes on the Bible. The workmen not only had a comfortable and sufficient livelihood, but the masters of the trade grew rich. Such a demand had they for their goods, and so profitable was the craft to them. This was a very strong and moving argument to influence the masters and workmen. It so nearly touched them and their worldly interests, than which nothing sticks closer to carnal men. Demetrius' way of address was very moving and persuasive, but his method manifestly betrayed what was his greatest concern, not religion, but his own secular interest, that which he should have mentioned last if at all, he begins with, self is the leading and governing principle in a natural man. From the New John Gill's Exposition of the Entire Bible I think these two commentary passages signify the angst of these workers. Today, people might wonder why there was such angst. In those days, you grew up into a form of work. You first were an apprentice. You then climbed the ranks of workers in your part of the world. Here in America, I remember starting as a helper, then promoted to apprentice, then to journeyman, then up to the next rank, and so forth, until you became a master at your job. Today, there is such a thing as a master plumber. Here in America, when you reach master plumber, you are at the top of your plumbing trade. The lower ranks now learn from the plumber's trade through you. In days gone by, here in America, when most all jobs had this ranking, 
you devoted yourself to that one job you picked, usually as a student in school. Once you graduated high school, grades 9 through 12, you picked college courses that helped you gain the knowledge you needed to step into your course of work. You then stayed there until you retired from work. This is typical of the work life these men in our Bibles had. Unlike today, re-educating yourself frequently was not an option. For these men who made these religious objects, it is the only work they knew how to do because of this more rigid form of society in their day. This is why we have a riot in Ephesus. These men saw the great possibility of their trade becoming nothing because so many people in Ephesus were turning to God and no more worshiping the images these men made. If there was no need for these images, then these silversmiths and craftsmen would be jobless with little, if any, hope of finding new work. Our last verses read, And you see and hear that this Paul has persuaded and turned away a large crowd, not only in Ephesus, but in particularly all of the province of Asia, by saying that gods made by hands are not gods at all. There is danger not only that this business of ours will come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be regarded as nothing, and she whom all the province of Asia and the world worship will suffer the loss of her greatness. To me, at least, that is a stunning statement. It shows how we can be locked by our thinking into one thing only. While not as lucrative possibly, these silversmiths could have learned working with other metallurgy needs of their day, making armor, horseshoes, and other uses for metal that existed in their day. Notice what we learned of Paul. Paul has persuaded and turned away a large crowd, so not just in Ephesus, but Paul persuaded and turned many in practically all of Asia as well. That is a large number of people that no longer want the religious objects made by these silversmiths that are now not happy with the situation at hand, thanks to Paul. You see at Ephesus, and you hear the same of other places. We have here the noble testimony of a heathen to the zeal and success of the ministry of Paul. It is an acknowledgment that his labors had been most strikingly successful in turning the people from idolatry. From Barnes' New Testament Notes. For this, the riot at Ephesus is simmering in the hearts and minds of those craftsmen. I am sure you have seen in the news where you live that people without work, to make money, become desperate. Some may even resort to a means of acquisition that is criminal by law. Hence, 
the source of a riot in Ephesus. The grounds of the charge which Demetrius made against Paul were two. First, that the business of the craftsmen would be destroyed. Usually the first thing that strikes the mind of a sinner who was influenced by self-interest alone. And second, that the worship of Diana would cease if Paul and his fellow laborers were suffered to continue their efforts. This business in which we are engaged and on which we are dependent to be brought into contempt, it will become so much an object of ridicule and contempt that we shall have no further employment. From Barnes New Testament Notes Notice what is said here by Barnes that we have already learned. The business of the craftsmen would be destroyed. That means simply that their work as silversmiths is over. Notice also, usually the first thing that strikes the mind of a sinner who is influenced by self-interest alone. Are you like these people? Even if a born-again Christian, are you influenced by self-interest alone? I know many born-again Christians who are influenced by self-interest. Being influenced by self-interest is something we all need to grow out of. Secondly, Barnes told us, Second, that the worship of Diana would cease if Paul and his fellow laborers were suffered to continue their efforts. It will become so much an object of ridicule and contempt that we shall have no further employment. There are two ways of looking at this. One, from a sinful mind that only sees loss. Two, from a saved mind that sees new possibilities. Of what mind are you? Next week, we will continue our study, A Riot in Ephesus, Part 3. We will notice this riot in Ephesus is getting close to happening. Notice the first part of Acts chapter 19, verse 28. When they heard this, they became enraged. Not simply anger, but they are now enraged, just like tribulation. This is where we see things that happen in life that our Bibles call tribulation. However, it is harder for modern people to see, always, just why tribulation of any kind is beneficial to God's children. Losing your job in any day is a form of tribulation. Hopefully, this study will help answer some of the questions surrounding this issue of tribulation. To learn more, join us next week. Play or download our episodes from one of our podcast hosts, or follow direct links to these platforms on our website under the podcast menu item. Details follow. All Bible quotes without a citation are from the New English Translation Free Version. We greatly appreciate our audience. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners, followers, 
and new listeners. Thank you all so much. We are very pleased to serve a diverse international audience. Please share our podcast with family, friends, and others you believe would find it a blessing. This study podcast is a wholly self-funded outreach presented by the Church of the Unchurched. Currently, an all-electronic Boston-based outreach uniting the community of lost, searching, lonely, and forgotten in Christ. If you are visiting for the first time, welcome and God bless you. If you are unsaved, we truly hope you find God as well as receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Please find a short link to our episode titled, How to be Saved, at the bottom of any episode description. To learn more about us and who we are, give our episode titled, Introduction, About Us, Who We Are, a listen. In that episode, you will learn more about us, who we are reaching out to, our mission, vision, ministry, and more. Again, a short link to this episode is found at the bottom of any episode description. Find our website at https colon forward slash forward slash the church of the unchurched dot o r g. Please type the church of the unchurched as a single word with no hyphens in unchurched. Our Bible tablet, and desktop-compliant website has more information, links to many of our podcast platforms under the podcast menu item. We are found on podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and Spotify, to name a few. We refresh all our feeds with every weekly episode upload on Sundays, East Coast Time, USA. These sites update our feed within 24 hours of our refresh. Our RSS feed is syndicated on many popular podcast RSS feed platforms. Find us on a preferred platform to follow us as we continue to grow. Now, to him who is able to strengthen you, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever. Amen. Until next week, this is Pastor John for the Church of the Unchurched.